0: Have you been watching the hit animated Christian-made streaming show? No, the other one, The Wingfeather Saga. No doubt you've heard of the best-selling fantasy series by singer-songwriter Andrew Peterson. This story of the Igaby family's darkly whimsical journey has attracted legions of readers from all ages. Now it's become a streaming series distributed by Angel Studios. Today, the executive producer and animation director Keith Lango visits our studio... To share more about the origins of this animated story. Welcome back to Fantastical Truth, the podcast from lorehaven.com, in which we explore fantastical stories for God's glory. I'm Steve Burnett, the publisher, co author of The Pop Culture Parent, and a recent uh, failed actor. I uh, tried my hand, or my voice rather, at voice acting. I wanted to play uh, one of the fangs of Dang, uh, but I will say that, that it was not the best thing to try for my vocal cords.
1: Now, I'm Zachary Russell, and I've just gotten back from one of my favorite places to visit, which is a bookstore. And in this case, it's the Books in Crannies bookstore in the Glipwood Township on the continent of Scree. And this is episode 146, How Did Animators Adapt the Wingfeather Saga for Streaming TV? And we'll be joined by Keith Lengo.
0: Keith Lengo actually has a a bit of a past, however, brief uh, with the website before Lorehaven. Uh, Back in 2016 is when he uh, and some other uh, animation allies got together to fundraise for the original animated short, uh, kind of a proof of concept the wing feather saga series it has been nearly seven years since then and now the first season is airing on the angel studios app that's where you can also get the chosen and a lot of other uh, entertainment from christians and otherwise uh, really wholesome stuff there but as uh, you'll hear him say in the conversation it's not always safe but it is good so of course that is just where we live here at Fantastical Truth. And I would say, Zach, having seen uh, some of the animated show already, yeah, those fangs are not safe. Uh, they, they go around like this, and they have these uh, voices that, uh, as I said earlier, uh, are not healthy for the vocal cords. There's also a lot of slime involved, a, a lot of uh, venomous drooling going on, which is just not wholesome, not <laughs> wholesome at all.
1: Yeah, uh, so my middle daughter described the Wingfeather Feather series as silly and scary. All at once and I, I thought that was a really good way to summarize it that there are so many funny jokes there's a lot of kind of gross kind of humor about stinky things but then there are some scary parts with the with the fangs and uh, trying to capture or eat or kill the children there are this occupying force and so there's a lot of political and military kind of tension happening there's a lot of sadness it seems like uh, throughout the story and i I just really I'm so intrigued by this, Steven, that it, it's not what I thought it would be, which is, you know, the, the silly kind of uh snake from the, uh, Disney Robin hood, the sidekick of, uh,
0: Prince John. Yes. Sir Hiss.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That guy, I, I that's kind of what I went in expecting was some kind of snake character like that. And yeah, there is some kind of silly elements like that. Uh, but there's definitely some serious danger.
0: Yes, yeah, Zach. The fangs of Dang are legitimately scary. And uh, for those of you who believe in this conspiracy theory, you may want to update it. Uh, in this world, Ariar, uh, we are, I believe it's called, uh, the lizard people have cast off the human suits and they're just acting out in the open. They're great villains for the show. And uh, yet they also strain the voice just a little bit. So... If you've got, uh, I'd say, older kids, uh, definitely a show to check out. Uh, It's beautifully made. Uh, I'm loving the music of this. I have not even read the book yet. I'm definitely going to, but uh, we want to stump as much as we can for excellent Christian fantasy. A lot of it in book form, of course, if you listen to this podcast, but in this case, kind of special, really, getting a six-episode show Uh, And then listen to the end of this uh, conversation with Keith uh, to get an update about season two.
1: Stephen, the other thing I just really liked about this element of the fangs is I mentioned they're in, uh, they're occupying this town and and I guess the whole continent of Scree. And it just harkens back to how C.S. Lewis talked about in Mere Christianity, we are living in enemy occupied territory. I think a lot of people have felt this in recent years with certain shifts in our culture. We're not going to go into culture war stuff. But we've all felt that our whole lives that there is something very twisted and broken and uh about this world there's a parasitic you know almost force at work, and it's visualized very well in these fangs, like no one likes them, and what they like is very twisted you know the the mother gives this uh kind of head fang whatever' it's his title is she gives them a box full of uh, really smelly you know worms and maggots i think she calls it maggot loaf instead of meat loaf and and he's just chomping into it he just loves it and basically they have to pay a tribute to these guys to be able to go to their festival and just move freely right away that resonated with me i i wasn't sure what i was going to think about these fangs because again back to my daughter saying silly it's scary they're kind of scary and that uh, there were a couple of times where our kids we were watching this and they just sort of recoil. They're like, oh, I know what's going to happen. Like, oh, yeah, looking through my fingers, like it's, it's a little scary, but I, I really like this as a kid show. I, you have to know your own kid. You have to know their comfort level uh, with scary things, but uh, boy, there is so much going on just in the first two episodes that it's this giant world with
0: tons of things going on. Sounds like we may have a new uh, Christian classic fantasy on our hands. And speaking of classic Christian fantasy, as well as reptiles with unusual features, that brings me to our first sponsor for this episode, the new publisher from Oasis family media, sky turtle press and their new fundraiser for a uh, prose adaptation of the classic Edmund Spencer epic poem from the 1590s, the fairy queen. C.S. Lewis once said, The Fairy Queen never loses a reader it has once gained. Once you have become an inhabitant of its world, being tired of it is like being tired of London or of life. Welcome to Edmund Spencer's The Fairy Queen. The new text-faithful, line-by-line prose rendering of Spencer's epic poem introduces new readers to Spencer's enthralling world of monsters, enchanted forests, witches, and brave but fumbling knights. To help readers overcome this struggle, classical educator Rebecca K. Reynolds worked with Elizabethan scholars to produce an annotated rendering which moves from heavy assistance in book one toward more of Spencer's language in book six. This week's episode is sponsored by Sky Turtle Press, the publishers of Edmund Spencer's The Fairy Queen. They have launched their Kickstarter last week, uh, just the day before we did our interview with Rebecca Reynolds herself for episode 145. And they're going to release this book and other products in September of this year, 2023. Zach, we were just looking at the fundraiser earlier. Uh, they had an initial goal of $7,500. Uh, that was met on the first day. And as we're recording, uh, they're quickly approaching a $60,000 goal. And they've unlocked Amazing. some other stretch goals. And looks like we're going to get some uh, beautiful gift sets of the Fairy Queen uh, starting in the fall of this year.
1: It's incredible to see that go forward. And I love all these illustrations they've done. And man, what what a common theme with what we're talking about today, just these beautifully illustrated stories. You're going to hear in a minute, Keith, talk about the approach that they use. It's a little different than you might expect from a animation that's being made in 2022, 2023. Uh, And he uses this phrase handcrafted television show, and he's going to share more about what that means and kind of how that works out. Now to you, our listener, you may notice that as we go into our, what we're going to call our backup studio with Keith, we're going to sound a little bit different. So please bear with us as uh, Keith will share a lot lot of times you're having to create things in mid-flight. So hope you still enjoy this conversation.
0: There's a classic animated short, uh, the second uh, one of Wallace and Gromit from Aardman Animation in the UK, uh, where Gromit, a claymation dog, is throwing little model train tracks down right in front of the speeding model locomotive. (laughs) Sometimes, I'm sure that's how it feels when you're running an animation studio as well as a podcast studio. By the way, Zach, I'm glad you said that about uh, fantasy that uh, looks and feels a little different. There's kind of a developing theme here, so that's why we're actually... Uh, retconning our last episode with Rebecca and the Fairy Queen and this episode and I think the next uh, into an ongoing uh, series of the podcast we're going to call Forging Fantasy so it's just a little different take on fantasy some different things that creators are trying uh, for the glory of God uh, to make these excellent stories by the way I think I hear a caw caw that uh, makes me feel a little nervous so let's see how Keith Lango is entering the studio Keith Lango is both a student and instructor in the art of animation and its technology. His passion for developing engaging experiences in animation has given him a wide and varying experience in the field and was fundamental to the creation of the wing feather Saga's distinct animation style. He has worked on three, two, one penguins, veggie Tales, and at valve corporation on video games like portal two. He's an executive producer and animation director for the wing feather saga, And right now, he is circling high above the black carriage, caw-cawing as a herald of doom. Keith, welcome to the Lorehaven studio.
2: Thanks for having me, guys.
0: Now, you wear a lot of hats for the Wingfeather saga. I saw in the opening credits of the first episode, at least. Not only uh, animation director, CG supervisor, executive producer. uh, Did I get those right, or are there any other titles I need to add?
2: Yeah, you know, uh, (laughs) there's so many things under what I do. Because you know we're a small, scrappy startup that we've kind of settled on. My son calls me the Lord and Master of all pixels in my Slack channel. I, I think I have a grand poobah of pixels. <laughs> so uh, basically, if it's if it's on screen, for the most part, I've had a hand in, in how it gets there um, through all the dif- different departments. But yeah, um, yeah. So that's why we just kind of lumped it under CG and animation. Basically, if you see it, it's under my stuff. I don't do it personally, but, you know, help develop the style and kind of like the whole philosophy of how we do our animation and and looking into can we do things differently, you know, instead of the standard Disney Pixar DreamWorks style that's been very lucrative, but also gobstoppingly expensive. So when you're a scrappy little startup working with crowdfunding money, you got to find ways to maximize uh, your funds for the best viewer experience, you know, for the audience. So. Uh, we lean into a bunch of different things that are not your normal uh pixar style of things but uh, that's actually a it's by design you know we we go hey let's let's do things differently looking at entertainment as a say a vehicle you know pixar in disney they make automobiles great cars equated to mercedes or something like that very expensive car you get in it you know oh this is a very nice car and then everybody else keeps trying to make Mercedes type things with, you know, Kia budgets. <laughs> uh, and so if, if you got it, and we're not even a Kia budget, we're just like, you know, we're like a, a, a used Hyundai budget. And uh, <laughs> you get in there and you're like, okay, this is not the same experience you can, you can feel the corners being cut and And it just, you come away thinking, okay, well, I, I got to where I was going, but that wasn't as nice an experience. So philosophically, we're like, well, how about if we make a really, really nice motorcycle? Mm-hmm. Yeah, You still get, it's a, it's still a transportation thing, but it's a fundamentally different way of thinking about it. And then you, there's a lot of things that if you change your philosophy and your mindset and your goals about what you're making, there's a lot of things you don't need to build. Like you don't need to make an air air conditioner. You don't need to make power windows. You don't need to make a trunk. There's a lot of aspects of what goes into making a car that you just can't do without even on the cheapest ones. And they just add price and cost. And you're just checking boxes, but you're doing it to such a minimal level that it's not a very compelling experience. So we're just like, let's make a a different experience that's still entertaining, still beautiful, and still compelling as a, as a as a story. Because really, it's about the story. Um, everything else is, you know, serves that. But if the story's not good, it doesn't matter what you do with it. But we 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 know we have a great story. So now it's just like, okay, let's take the ethos of what that story is about and let's find a way to express it and how it looks. And, and, let's bring some handcrafted beauty to this thing. Cause there's a, something, there's something about the world of where we are that feels handcrafted and beautiful.
1: So before you were making the, uh, used a uh, Hyundai version <laughs> of, uh, animation, and, and before you were building puzzles in, in portal Two and reminding us, you know, the cake is a lie going all the way back uh, a little bit further in your life. How did you originally discover fantastical stories and biblical truth.
2: I guess like for, for most folks that goes back to my early teen years, you know, just stumbled into stuff like the Hobbit uh, when I was like maybe 10 or 11 years old and just became fascinated with it, read it through a couple of times through many of those years, just kind of absorbed that stuff. Then absorb the Narnia stuff when my girls were uh, younger, just reading through with them and getting captivated by that, that kind of magical world. And, but the, the, the idea that there's things that, uh, there's a resonance to them. Currents run deep. You know, they're moving and they're compelling and and they're they're profound, but they're not they're not preachy or anything like that. It's just you know, if you if you look for it, you can find the allegories, and you don't have to look that hard in Narnia. But you know, you can see the value, not not the values, because that's such a that's such a dumb word, like family values. Like I don't know, that's just that's just morality policing. No, there's something very very deep and compelling, and like it stirs the soul kind of stuff. And that's I remember that. You know, being pretty profound at the time, and it really motivated a lot of what I want to do with my life, as far as like trying to tell stories. Like, that. I went into animation because I seem to have a knack for it. Um, and you know, when it comes to when it comes to faith, you know, my I grew up in a in in the home of uh, of a divorced, excommunicated Catholic. Um, so you know, really wasn't much church life in early years, but then my parents uh kind of found their way and started went to church and stuff like that. And there was a profound change in my dad really quite a bit around age 11 or 12. Same time, actually um, went from being a hard drinking, very angry guy who was not exactly the nicest guy to be around to being, you know, clean, sober, jovial um, kind. That's like, oh, Wait, wow. God. you know, so kind of profound transformation that, you know, the, you know, before he passed away, we had a really fantastic relationship and it was just great, you know, so there's a lot of redemption in that. So praise God. When you're when you're that age and you kind of see you know, I, all my all my life up till now up until age eleven or so has been, well, dad's drinking. Let's stay let's stay quiet and out of the way. You know, to, hey, home is a safe place. Now is like it. Yeah, it, it's pretty compelling message to a young person about what it means to, to find something deeper that pulls you out of something, that pulls you into something else.
0: Yeah.
1: Well, it sounds like a full character arc then in
0: your in your dad's life. Yeah. Uh... Yeah. Yeah, once you see a redemption story like that, it is very difficult to unsee. Uh, it is near miraculous to see how our great Savior can take a heart of stone and swap it out for a heart of flesh. Uh, Keith, I really appreciate it, too. Uh, you're almost a Jerry Gord-like voice there, or is it Jimmy Gord? I forget. Family values. Like, okay, it does uh, sound a little Christianese. Uh, a word I have found myself using more in place of that is a, a little bit more retro-sounding word, which is virtue. Ah, uh, you've got Christ likeness sure. on display, not only in the redemption arc of a loved one, but in these fantastical stories that aren't just talking about it's good to be good, so that's why you should. Or being nice, uh, watching the first yeah. episode of the Wingfeather Saga. Uh, I don't. I mean, I guess you could say it's family values, but I'm just seeing a very in depth virtue there. The family is clearly being drawn into a larger story, a battle of good versus evil, with all of these uh, townspersons being ruled over. Uh, by the fangs of dang by the way if you hear any stress in my voice that's because i was actually auditioning to perform as one of the fangs and uh, (laughs) a little bit difficult on the (laughs) vocal cords there Uh, or it could be uh, allergy season here in central texas so jumping then to uh, the chapter one proper of our discussion i'm curious then keith uh, what led you from enjoying these stories and then seeing this uh, providential redemption uh at home what led you to help create these animated stories as an uh, animator, supervisor, executive producer, and all the rest of it?
2: Specifically on Wing Feather.
0: Uh, and, or just all together, 321 Penguins, uh, vegetails, uh, Valve, all yeah, this stuff. Yeah,
2: all that stuff. I kind of stumbled into, uh, I mean, I was always an artist, uh, kind of, but not a really good one in a writer, but not bad at it. But there was just no there was no mechanism for me to kind of follow through on that. You know, I grew up in, in Buffalo, New York, so, you know, at the time you know a a dying steel town you know if you're an artist then you know it's 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 a town of manufacturing blue collar all the way through right and my dad had this saying he's like they call them starving artists for a reason son you might want to find a real job (laughs) Uh, (laughs) so uh you know i never like you grow up in a town like that so disconnected from the world of media and what that means it's like human beings don't make movies i mean You know, you stop and think about it logically. Of course, human beings make movies, but not real human. It's like it's just like you're being an astronaut or the president. You know, yes, I I suppose technically that's a human. That's not a regular person, right? That's not for me. It's not within the realm of possibility of like that's something I could do. So I never dreamed of like I'm not one of these kids who grew up like I I dreamed of working at Disney since the time I was 10 years old. I had no clue. Uh, I didn't know. So I stumbled into it completely by accident, mostly. I uh, got started in doing a so, uh, for sale for sale by owner real estate magazine from a friend of mine who said, hey, I got a landscaping business and you're pretty artistic and I want to go around and sell the ads and you put the paper together. I said, OK, cool. I, I, that sounds interesting. Um, you know, I got better at putting together a paper than he did at selling ads. So we went out of business pretty quick <laughs> But from that. I leveraged uh, the skills I learned. And I learned them the hard way by making mistake after mistake, after mistake so much so that three of the four service bureaus in the town of Rochester, New York would no longer accept me as a client. Cause my stuff was so broken. Oh. Um, they're like, don't ever come back here again. You don't know what you're doing. I'm like, of course I don't know what I'm doing. I'm going to go to the next people until I burn out their goodwill. Um, <laughs> but I learned right. The hard way doing it. And um, you know, this is early nineties. So there wasn't, there wasn't really an internet. Um, and so you just kind of, get by you know and then i was at uh, leverage that to work at a gannett newspaper in rochester new york the democratic chronicle and so it's a big paper in town i was in the in the ad department and one of the when i was there I, one of the co-workers who was i don't know kind of a kind of a high-nose snob but he just had graduated from rensselaer polytechnic institute he showed me a 3d render about the size of a of a postage stamp of uh, a golden toot and common head that he had made for like One of his classes i said how in the world did you do that So compelling and he's like well that just you and he he tried to big time because back then if you had it was like a secret knowledge if you know 3d animation Mm. you know you didn't you didn't bother to to share the secrets with the hoi ploy um but i dug around a little bit and found out okay these software so my wife was just graduated from school it was my turn quote unquote to go to school we had uh, a young one two young ones at home And I said, uh, you know, I I think I want to do this. Uh, and instead of going to school and taking out a loan, I'm going to go ahead and take out a loan for a computer for some software. And I'm going to dive in and I'll be a stay at home dad who learns how to do this stuff. And, uh, and I give myself four years to get good at it. And that's what I did. And, um, along the way I got clients and got better. And, uh, when I saw toy story, I said, now there's a thing I think I could do. So then I started animating with software that was not designed to be animated so much so that, uh, <laughs> the uh, the creators of the software said, who gave you our new beta version for this? Cause I did an animation test and put it up on like an AOL server or something. And, um, and they're like, you can't do what you just did with our existing software. So who gave you the, the, the you know access to the beta? Cause they're not supposed to do that. I said, bro, I, I didn't, I, I don't know what you're talking about. I just mm-hmm. use your software. And they're like, we don't, we don't know how you did that. We don't believe you send us the files. So I sent them the files. And they're like, Oh, you're clever. So they uh <laughs> they started putting me onto beta programs. And it's that's kind of how I got my break into it. I just realized oh, I have nice. a knack for just taking what exists and hacking it uh to get the results that we're after. And Wingfeather is just one big long journey from that point. Um, where we take what's existing and say, what if we use it differently? Um so I uh Somebody, somebody, I was doing another interview and somebody said, Hey, so what's, what's your job? Like I said, our job in the animation department for wing Feather saga, did you know, the movie, um, uh, uh, Apollo 13, where they yes. have to create the uh, CO2 filter. Right. For The, the carbon monoxide Round bag
1: into a square hole or something. Yeah. Tell right. me this isn't right. the where the engineer operation. down
2: on the ground just says, we got to make one of these out of all of that on the table. <laughs> right. That's that our time. job. Yeah. Yeah. Just." So our job is to just take what's available and make something different out of it make something new so we're doing that you know we're creating all these this rich artistic painterly style in Unreal Engine in real time which is a massive game changer as far as like what it costs to um, to turn things around our iteration uh, levels go way up and there's a lot of benefit from it so I'm starting to get in the weeds, so I'm going to
0: stop there. Well, I'd love to get in the weeds with you just a little bit about the style. Um, occasionally, I will watch uh, you know, YouTube videos and such about uh, animation, computer graphics and such. And uh, I grew up keeping up with uh, Pixar. I was well aware of Toy Story wow. when it was coming out uh, before 1995. And then, of course, uh, right about the same time or even just a few years earlier, you've got Phil Vischer and Mike Naraki. Uh, working up in sure. uh, illinois got a hold of their own animation software uh trying to make cartoons with uh, not talking candy bars but talking vegetables uh we had uh, mike I think should have the
2: candy bars the
0: yeah maybe yeah. someone apparently the candy bar verse is still uh still up for grabs if uh, any i told mike he should have do done that.
1: that
0: yeah i think yeah, parents yeah. would have loved it uh you've already gone over some of the um of the least glamorous parts of getting into this business uh animation you know obviously there's an uphill climb simply because we live in a groaning world, and there's some practical needs. You got to eat. You got to take care of your family, and animation is not the quickest way to do that. What though is like the most fulfilling part of this job to you, not only as an animator, uh, but as as a Christ follower? Like, what what does it do to create stuff, new kinds of images in this way?
2: Gosh, it's just fun. <laughs> it, it's it's really fun when you make something, and you just try your best to make it what your heart and what your mind thinks it should be and you don't always hit it you're lucky if you hit the dartboard bullseyes are pretty rare but what you do is for me anyways the act of creating is so fun it's the journey not the destination most of the time this is a weird thing i don't really watch a bunch of movies i don't read a ton of books (laughs) i tell i tell my friends like hey man i don't use the drugs i just sell them i make them you know (laughs) so
0: (laughs) physician uh, heal thyself that's funny
2: yeah I'm just really big into into making things that that's just where I feel like uh, solving the problem. It's just I feel like I'm a fish who's in water. so in that way, I feel like I'm honoring my creator in that regard. He made me to do this, so I should probably just do it, do it as well as I can and enjoy it and and try to bring and unlock some some mysteries, some beauty in the world and in, in doing it. and so uh that's really rewarding from a personal standpoint in my position now. My most rewarding thing is is my team. Uh, we have a lot of young folks on our crew because you know we're startup, right? and the passion and energy they have and seeing them grow and, and take on um, take on new roles and like our assembly team, like they're, we break it apart into different groups and departments and stuff like that. So the people who take all the animation and all the paintings and all the various pieces and put them together inside of the unreal engine and then adjust the lights and the colors and everything like that. And, and really just do the final dressing so that what you see is the the image you see that entire team is mostly under the age of 23. Oh wow. Um, and they're so brilliant and sort of they're sharp and they're bright and they don't have to be untaught ways because they're new. So they're just like, okay, you teach me how to do this. And so they, they're so adept at, at learning new things and they they surprise me every day uh, and and I, I have a really strong sense of pride that we're i'm kind of like mentoring the thing I'm like teaching has always been a big part of of my journey as well in all of this i i've, I've developed a fairly solid reputation as a teacher of animation most of the time if you google my name is uh, half the time it's going to come up as a you know the courses and stuff like that i've taught and I had my own business for, for a number of years when I lived in Brazil to, uh, you know, teach animation online and stuff like that after I'd kind of gotten burned out on, on the studios. And, um, you know, I just love teaching, the act of teaching and, and helping unlock things for people. That's To me, it's an extension of uh, what creating is. And if I had to kind of coalesce it all into a single statement, I like pulling, I like being able to pull back the curtains to something and letting people see it whether that's explaining things or teaching things or making something visual or anything just kind of, it's obscured. I can't see it. And in some way, finding a way to unlock the padlock that has kind of kept it away from us and, and opening those doors and letting that light in is really, really fun to me. So that's, that's what I really dig.
1: Backing up for just a second. Tell me how many people are on your, your animation team and where are y'all located?
2: We are located all over the place. we have, do, 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 do. probably 20-ish full-time employees, and in, much like the rest of the animation business, we kind of ramp people on and off on contract based off of where we're at in the production cycle. At the peak, we had probably 75 people at the same time. If you added up all of all of the folks who had worked on season one of uh Winged Feather Saga, it's probably well over 100 by now, but we don't have an office. We don't have a studio. Chris Walls, uh, he's the other... other you know, co-founder and executive producer. Um, his bonus room upstairs is about the closest thing we have to a corporate headquarters. <laughs> um, I work out of my home in Spokane and I have two young fellows there who work with me doing, uh, you know, camera layout, cinematography, and then assembly, uh, our, assemb- our animation crew, we have some us based animators, but most of them are based out of Europe. And, um, you know, I've got, i got a crew of guys out of Vienna. We got folks out of Prague. um, got a guy in Scotland, we have two guys in Turkey, uh just all over the place. Um and that's, you know, one of the benefits of of being able to do things now is is a lot of folks are used to working from home because of the pandemic and we can kind of leverage that that thing and so we don't have to spend money on an office space and things like that. And the other thing is it allows us to find people who are aligned, you know, with what we're trying to accomplish. They're not all believers, but not by a long shot, but what but, but a lot of them resonance with the stories, you know, and that's the great, that's a big tribute to Andrew and uh, the stories he wrote. Um, someone described Wingfeather feather saga as not obviously Christian, but profoundly Christian. We love that. In fact, that's our big struggle in our, that's a big struggle for our existence as, as a property in, in the marketplace that we're, Chris calls it the middle space. We're, we're not trying to be a Christian property. We're not trying to be a secular property. We want to ride that line where Andrew's books have lived, you know, the growth of the wing feather saga as a book series, they just recently crossed a million books sold, which is fantastic. You know, his books have not gained their popularity in Christian bookstores. That's been at the Barnes and Nobles and, and, and the Amazons and just normal mainstream marketplace. And that's where we want this show to live because, you know, not for nothing, we don't want to, we just don't want to preach to the choir. It's not our, it's not our gig. So we'll do things like Lord of the Rings that are, profoundly christian and definitely express a christian worldview because that's who we are but it's not like we're trying to turn this into a chick track
0: right there are stories that christians can enjoy and that non-christians can enjoy simply because we are living in god's universe that is the thing we have in common there are going to be themes of good versus evil beauty versus ugliness truth versus lies uh, that do have universal appeal and sometimes as c.s lewis said It takes a particular kind of a sneaky night to creep past those watchful dragons, in Lewis's word. Great fantasy can come from everywhere. It can start as a song or a book and might even become an animated series. We're going back to the bookshelf for our second sponsor for this episode. It is Jamie Foley, the author of the Sentinel Trilogy series. This young adult sci-fi slash fantasy series has been called harry potter in a left behind story in a world where spiritual gifts are manifested physically characters must learn to use their unique abilities at the Saren academy when the apocalypse begins will they work together to survive or be captured and enslaved written for teenage boys this completed trilogy is full of humor and action book one sentinel has over 100 reviews on Amazon with a 4.4 star average and is available now for Kindle, paperback, hardcover, and audiobook. That is author Jamie Foley with the Sentinel Trilogy series. You can find more information in our show notes for 146 or go to lorehaven.com slash podcast sponsors. Keith, you perfectly set up our second chapter of this discussion. Uh, how did you personally discover the Wingfeather Feather Saga uh, from singer-songwriter Andrew Peterson and get involved with this animated project? Because you've been involved with this at least seven years. We have an older article that you wrote. Thank you for uh, the uh, Speculative Faith website, predecessor to Lorehaven, oh, yeah. uh, in which you were talking about the fundraising for the original uh, animated short. So this has been going on at least right. seven years for you, long before... Uh, the first episode arrives uh, at the Angel Studio streaming site.
2: Welcome, welcome to Hollywood Development, man. That's it a seven-year
0: tribulation. Yes.
2: Yeah. So uh, I first met Andrew not because I was you know familiar with his music, or anything, but because uh, you know Chris. I've known Chris Wall a long time because you know we worked together on stuff with VeggieTales. I was a Chicago iteration of Big Idea, and then when they had the big bankruptcy and got sold, and they moved to Nashville. I moved on to do other things in my career. And Chris was uh Nashville, big idea. But um as what happened, you know, as they're making shows, they would call me back to kind of consult and help do things because you know, by the time I left uh Chicago, I was, you know, director of studio operations for CG. So I kind of knew you know, I was they're like Keith knows how to make veggies, right? <laughs> so <laughs> uh as they're kinda getting stuff ready for overseas studios to execute on, they're like they you know, I was Contracted as a consulting. So, anyways, I got to know Chris um, at uh, Nashville Big Idea in the early 2000s, and, and really struck up a good friendship and a good working relationship. Like we, we work really well together. And so, um, Chris had worked with Andrew on, and uh, I think also Randall, Good Game on a silly song. So they had developed their thing. And then around 2007, 2008, uh, Chris left uh, Big Idea the first time. Because uh, something I think it was they're being sold or something, and um, he had optioned the the rights to uh, a children's illustrated book, and he was going to try and turn it into a film. And uh, he had uh, partnered up with Andrew to write the screenplay. And he, of course, Chris was wanting me to do on that show or on that movie what we're doing with Wingfeather—you know, the same painted animation style—to try and you know make the most out of things and do something different because I've been doing this kind of studying this kind of style for 20 years and doing lots of different tests. And so anyways, um, I met Andrew just on that. We got to know each other mostly just because we're going to work on developing a film together. And we were doing okay. Talking to a bunch of monkey mucks with money and it was looking like it was going someplace. And of course, 2008 happened and then everybody said out oh, what money, what's that? <laughs> um, but that's where I got to know Andrew and become a friend. And um, he had just finished his first book. And, um, so he hadn't even finished all of it yet. So um, through the years, just kept up, kept up with Chris and, you know, occasionally with Andrew and stuff. And so in the summer of 2015, after Andrew had finished the fourth book, um, he came to Chris and said, hey, what do you think about making this a TV show? Kind of like, you know, Airbender, the, the Avatar of the Last Airbender. And uh, Chris was like, that's pretty cool. So first thing Chris did was call me and say, hey, Andrew says he'd like to make a TV show. Uh, the wing feather saga and uh want to know if you'd be in on it i'm like yeah let's, let's do it so the wing feather saga came later for me than than andrew like i, I knew him before that just through different things
0: so what, what was the challenge then at turning this into a, a a multi-episode show uh the first three episodes are already out by the way and i think i saw uh, episode four uh, is arriving on february the 10th Uh, that's a big production. You've got to find voice talent. You've got to adapt uh, the book to the screen. Uh, No easy process, especially when folks are getting very, very attached uh, to the way that the books are written. Uh, And from what I've seen so far, at least the first episode starts a little differently from the book. There's a lot more early world building in the book, but you have to begin with a galloping horse and the carriage and the thunder, uh, and then uh, a a rather startling, you know but still child-appropriate uh, abduction at the uh, beginning of the very first episode. Uh, what do you recall, like maybe the, the top three or even the top one challenges of bringing the Wing Feather Saga from the page to the screen? From
2: an adaptation standpoint, I mean, there's a lot of technical challenges that, you know, may or may not be interesting. Um, just getting a studio stood up with no time that right there was like, hey, we went to the crowd, we got the crowdfunding, got raised our $5 million to make our first season. First off, idea of making a season of six episodes and starting a studio and doing all the pre production for just five million dollars. Just five million. Yes. Um, we we're,
0: we're used to seeing Disney spend hundreds of millions of dollars on an animated film, whether or not it does very well. Right. That's astounding.
2: Yeah. And so we had eighteen months from the money hits the bank to, okay, we gotta have episodes. Okay, well who do you have? Nobody. Uh what what tech do you have? None. What's your pipeline? Don't have one. Where's your studio? Don't have one. So it's been a scramble. You know, the biggest challenge for the last past year and a half is just getting it all stood up getting systems built, getting pipelines built, getting people trained up, uh, being able to find all the problems and and work around them, you know? So from that standpoint, there's just a lot of heavy lifting, a lot of hard work to kind of, as I mentioned to some people, it's like taking all the parts of an airplane, putting it into a catapult, launching it in the air and hoping you can assemble a plane that can land safely before (laughs) it all crashes to the ground. So, um, and we've landed that plane, you know, our episode one took uh, our animation team, uh, I want to say close to four or five months to animate, probably five months, just episode one, because we're just learning so many things, running into so many problems, having to build so many systems, uh, having to get them, get their heads around how they animate this way. And then by the time we, you know, finished, we ju- we we just wrapped up episode six animation. So the animators are kind of on a break right now, but we were able to do episode five in like five weeks with the same crew. And the same thing is assembly, you know, our first Putting the show together, like gathering all the pieces and putting the final image together on episode one was like a four month arduous process of pain and sorrow. Uh, and now we can assemble a show in about four weeks, same size crew. So the efficiencies are there, like just getting past all those things was really, really big. From an adaptation standpoint, the big thing, and this is really interesting, probably more to your readers or your listeners, is you know, from the literary adaptation is trying to give the kids agency in book one. Andrew's like, hey, it was my first book, man. Go easy on me. And we're like, well, yeah, we know. But uh, from story development, we understand that your characters have to have agency. And much of what happens in book one is uh, deus ex machina. You know, the kids are things are happening to them, but they're rescued. You know, Pete rescues. And there's always somebody coming in. And so they're they're just kind of they're along for the ride. But there isn't a lot of instances in book one where the children make a choice because of the the, the situation presented to them. And that choice has consequences, which then they have to follow up on or whatever so in order to make uh to kind of correct for that error, the other was that Lily is just a uh in book one she's not really a developed character she's more just a she's just a bigger version of nugget right she just goes along for the ride on this stuff uh and it's really a, you know, a story about the brothers and so we felt like to make this show really work for girls, we need to give lily far more a, a, um activity so we spent a lot of time um Working through that, and it wasn't just this year. It was like through the intervening seven years when we're working on adapting the thing first to series, and then we weren't getting anywhere with series, so we thought maybe we'd do a feature film. So we then, you know, adapted it to film, and um, then back to series again. There was always this effort on our part to to really push and give the kids more agency, so that their decisions have actions and consequences. Um, and then Lily is not just a passenger but she's an active participant in the entire adventure.
0: Yeah. One of my favorite scenes so far is when uh, they're standing. Well, spoiler alert here, folks, if you haven't seen it, standing by uh, the cliffside uh, and the sea dragons arrive and Lily starts to sing. And then we, we see sort of this awakening of uh, supernatural gifts in uh, each of the three uh, Iggy family uh, children. Uh, That's where I think to me, the first episode goes from good to great because we are, feeling that sense of virtue you mentioned earlier, that longing for some kind of beauty uh, that is being suppressed by the evil in the world. So I'm glad that y'all had made that decision. There's so much good music too uh, in the show, which of course coming from Andrew Peterson, uh, one might expect. Uh, I did not expect him himself to be uh, a guest voice, uh, basically seeming to play a fantasy world version of himself. But in retrospect, well, why would I not expect that? um i've only seen the first episode so far keith by the way and i've I've not yet read the book don't don't tell anybody it's just you and me here but i'm really enjoying it and it makes me want then to head into the audiobook uh, for the first book which i own uh, on the edge of the dark sea of darkness so six episodes then so we have three out and then the second half of the first season uh is coming out starting on february the 10th so you said that the animation team has gotten to have a break now Uh, But you yourself uh, have been scrambling uh, here. So it's uh, really great that you're able to clear time for the interview this morning. Whether your favorite fantasy story is made by Christians or made by others who still know how to make great stories, your call, especially if you're a parent, is to discern and explore these stories for the glory of God and teach your children to do the same. That leads me to our third sponsor for this episode, and it be in part myself. I grabbed the open slot, uh, at least for the next few episodes and this one. It is my nonfiction book, The Pop Culture Parent, uh, co-written uh, with my friends Ted Turneau and Dr. Jared Moore. Ted does worldview teaching, Jared does pastoring, and I do the story stuff, but we all do the story stuff for this book. Uh, it is a nonfiction book, but there is a dragon on the cover, so it fits with the theme. It helps you to engage these stories, not just to identify the parts of the stories that might be displeasing to God, but the idols in the stories and the beauties and goodness and truths in these stories. It is your job as a parent uh, to approach these as a shepherd who's training your children to look out for the idols in the world that come out of their hearts that the world can then endorse through these stories, but then also find the goodness in these stories that reflects the goodness, the fingerprints that still exist in God's world. And then most importantly, using these and other questions we've developed, to bring the gospel into the discussion where is jesus glimpsed in the story or where is his handiwork glimpsed in the story whether or not the creators have put it there and then how can jesus alone answer and fulfill the good longings that the stories stir up in our hearts we've been talking with keith about the longings that the wing feather saga book and animated series stirs up in our hearts with the music and that sense of a A world that is made better, that no longer has fangs prowling around. A book like this may be what you need to help your kids learn to identify and name these things and glorify Jesus as a result of their engagement with these stories. You can get more information in our show notes for episode 146 or go to lorehaven.com slash podcast sponsors and learn more about the pop culture parent. I guess we can go ahead and move into chapter three then. Uh, What is next for the Wing Feather Saga? Uh, and anything else uh, that your studio is going to do involving maybe uh, Angel Studios as well?
2: Yeah. Well, when I say animation you know, to the to the layperson, that means anybody who's making visual stuff. Uh, in technical terms, I'm just talking about the people who make the performances. They're, our background painters are still very busy. Our assembly people are busy. Uh, there's a whole lot of people still working. We're like, uh, episode four is due. What you said, February 10th.
0: Uh, sorry, from, uh, uh IMDB anyway, says it's coming out, uh, Friday, awesome. February yeah, the 10th. So yes. Yeah.
2: That's when it's coming out. And there is about a hundred shots on my, on my hard drive at home that need to get fixed before that goes out the door. And today is not too far away from February 10th. So, uh, we are, we are literally sliding under the closing door of time on every one of these episodes and <laughs> season Don't forget one. your indie uh, hat it, on the it, other side. Yeah, Exactly yes it's it, we are literally snatching the episode back from across the door before our arms get crushed so every single episode is just sliding in under the deadline so it's a fun challenge and that, that's so yeah when I say the animators are taking a break that's like a group of eighteen people who are you know done making the performances uh, um, actually doing the motion you see then. okay yeah 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 so we you know we break it apart and then the background painters are just about done they're moving on to doing development for season two uh we are on we are greenlit for season two so we're moving Wonderful. on on that uh, a greenlit to a degree yeah i mean we've we've raised the money for uh uh development for you know pre-production so we've got new characters new locations um gonna be improving our tech a little bit uh stepping up our games some things that uh that you're allowed to do in a game engine that are really powerful we can kind of borrow those systems. We just didn't have the bandwidth or the time to do them in season one. So we kind of just did kind of adapted things the old fashioned way to a certain degree, but we, we can, season two, we can start leveraging some more of those, those technological hacks that work better for us as far as like, uh, angel studios and stuff like that. Yeah. We're, we're really scrambling to get, um, the show is doing really, really well so far, as far as initial metrics of what expectations are, we got half the episodes out right now. Uh, for season one there's it's not really a strong push uh we're kind of like just getting it there, getting the core people worked out they're doing a lot of a b testing about what works for you know viewer retention and stuff, deep analytic googly things you know because it's a streaming service so they're you know one of the, the backside of that is you get you get data about what works and what doesn't so it's doing really well they say it's it's tracking better than the chosen did when it first started so we're like they're happy we're happy with it um, and they're like, when can we have season two and we're like, uh, we're working on it. Hmm. So yeah, we are. We're hard at work on pre-production on that. Uh if all goes well, we um we start uh principal animation on that. Well actually we'll we'll start first with cinematography layout, uh probably in March. Uh we have Animatics, which is basically the comic book version of the show, um up and working for the first five episodes. Uh season two will be seven episodes um instead of six. So, and we hope to have those out, um, you know, in the fourth quarter of this year and stuff okay, like that. Wow. So um, yeah, it we're, we're cooking right along and uh, we're looking at ways to try and uh, secure the funding we need to, to keep going. Cause the, the grand plan of uh, Wingfeather Feather Saga is to take seven seasons to tell the story of the four books. So we have that all mapped out, you know, as far as like a breakout, what happens in each season and, we have episode breakouts we've done the work already of just taking the four books and breaking them down into what it means across seven seasons to make a show that follows that that er narrative arc all the way through so that's our goals we just want to get to the point where we can finish the seven seasons and and get it out there and and let it do what it does
0: this is spectacular we haven't talked much even about the voice sound of the show but i thought that Podo helmer sounded a little familiar so i looked him up uh, it's an actor named Kevin McNally, who actually is Gibbs, the uh-huh. pirate from Pirate to the Caribbean. So oh, my, uh, wow, my huh? voice actor talent, uh, which, by the way, now covers Japanese voice actors as well, uh, was able to help me again. Awesome. And then, of course, uh, Jody Benson, uh, famous for uh, yep. voicing the Little Mermaid and many, many other characters yeah. uh, is the voice of Nia. Uh, so you will uh, uh-huh. detect some familiar tones there. I'm really looking forward to this. I I noticed too about the the animation style, we haven't talked as much about the style in particular, but it looks like a watercolor-ish illustration. Uh, It actually looks like the new editions of the books themselves, the kind of uh, some synchronizing Mm -hmm. there. Uh, It's a lower frame rate than you would expect uh, for animation. Uh, what, What is this? What people would say the standard is? Is it 24 frames per second? Yeah. Okay. Um, What's the frame so, rate for I mean, it? Yeah, it's a little bit different.
2: It's right around twelve. It's back to old school, you know, two D animation from the, you know, from the forty before CG. Before CG, animation was rarely done on ones. We call it ones because oh, uh, yes. there's twenty four frames of film, and so uh, doing it on ones means that you do a new drawing every frame for every second because uh, it's expensive. So if you go back to old Disney films or the Warner Brothers cartoons or anything, basically before uh, computer graphics really took over. It was very rare to find animation done on ones. Most of the time it was done on twos, which means you do a drawing and you ex- you take two pictures of it uh, in, in on film so that when it plays back, it plays back at 12 frames per second, practically. And um, so kind of leaning into that, and you see that a lot in stop motion uh, as well, just because it's just easier to do. Uh, but now with a lot of the computer-assisted stop motion stuff, that's all done on ones as well. So there's been this... You know the last 20 something years because of you know, the advent of, of computer graphics and just that style has become very thing a really big thing we uh we said hey let's harken back to to something a little deeper in history you know go back a few a few years and it was viable then because you know the story of pinocchio is compelling even though it's on twos right the story of sleeping beauty is compelling even though it's on twos uh i grew up uh you know a fan of bugs Bunny and the warner brother cartoons and those are all on twos right so we know that it, you don't frame rate doesn't equal quality. Uh, so right. do we have a, a strong intentional philosophy of leaving gaps, uh, or the way I call it is make the entire thing impressionistic. You know, it's not realism. We're not trying to do hyper realism. We're not trying to represent reality uh, with a high level of fidelity or, or or accuracy. We it's a fantasy series, so we want to invite the user's imagination to do some work. So when we paint the backgrounds, we do not, you know, render every leaf with high detail. We take a brush stroke and we say, that's a tree. And If you look at the background paintings, you see the brush strokes, you see the bristles. Um, because we, we have an ethos uh, in our show where we want to see the hand of the artist. Because we think, I see the hand of the artist everywhere I look around me in this great creation. right? I see God's hand in everything. And I don't want to hide the hand of our artists who are wonderful, talented people. And hide it behind the polish of a machine. So we're trying everything we can to get the machine out of the way. And let the artist's handprint come through. Um, so that you can distinguish. Hey, if you really study you can, and you understand it. You can, like, I can spot uh, Aiden Peterson's backgrounds. Because they're a certain style. I can spot uh, Trudy Wenzel's backgrounds. Because they're a style. But they're all on style. But they have their own little flair to them. I can pick out pieces of animation that one of our animators, Sinesha Matic, does because Sinesha's got a style. And then Tom Stockinger has another style. Everybody has a style. Like Sam Wilson has a style. And it comes through. It's all cohesive. But we're not trying to polish that away. By leaving gaps in the pixels, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Like Not lovingly rendering everything to the nines where you're, you, it's all presented to you. You have to do nothing except consume it we're leaving gaps in motion we're leaving gaps in lighting we're leaving gaps in shading we're leaving gaps in the backgrounds to make it an illustration to invite the mind and the imagination of the user into every frame
1: yeah i love that is a uh, that's a wonderful philosophy and that that style that you're using that impressionistic uh more of a classic animation style you know i i think for a lot of viewers it's, you know i i grew up consuming all these Disney films as a kid. And now I'm a parent. And so it's sort of, it's, it's got this nostalgic feeling to it, which also kind of correlates with more classic virtues and and values. And so I I think it's like right away, I trusted it. It oddly enough, as opposed to, like you said, the, the machine produced animation of today where it's just so highly polished, but we've talked about Disney, we've talked about other yeah, Netflix and other streaming giants and, and just a lot of the values and, and themes that they, they are embedding in their stories are not always, um, you know, <laughs> consistent with the Christian worldview. So, um, sure. you know, I'm only a couple episodes into Wingfeather, but I can already see those threads of a Christian worldview and, and sort of the meaning Uh, Behind it, but what would you say in this series is kind of stands out to you the most? Like, what's the most meaningful aspect of the story of the Wingfeather Saga?
2: It's honest is is the best thing I can say. We're not trying to make we're not trying to make safe entertainment here. There's that you know that old line you know when the kids ask about Ozlan is he safe? No, (laughs) no, 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 he's not safe, but he's good. So we want to make something that's not necessarily safe. We're not interested in making something safe for the whole family it's more like we want to make something good, resonantly, deeply good. Um, and the stories are resonantly, deeply good. There are, there are flawed characters all the way through this thing. Every one of our characters from here on down is flawed. They make bad choices. They make legitimately terrible choices. They have skeletons in the closet. They have, they have very, very dark pasts. Uh, Poto is a, is a fascinating character. He's one of my favorites. Um, his past is, you know, you're introduced to him as this kind of doting grandfather. And as you get deeper into the books, you realize oh, this dude's done some things. Right. And, you know, the choices that the boys make They're and And the thing is that they have scars, right? They have lasting consequences to their choices. Like you choose to do this thing and there's no getting back from that. You know, now it's redeemed and it's made beautiful, but it's never made whole. Until something bigger can make it whole, you can go along with a broken heart in this world, because sometimes you just have a broken heart, you know. So, uh, and until it's all made new, it you know you just got to deal with that. And that's what's honest about these stories is they're, we're not trying to tell you a fanciful version of what a good Christian life looks like. We're not interested in that in the slightest bit. And Andrew wasn't either. And his songwriting is very similar. It's like what does he call it? A sorrowful joy you know so that's the meaning thing for us that's for me personally That's super super deep That's why i care about making a show and making it beautiful because it's real you know i've lived a while on this earth and i've seen some things and some stuff's happened to me and i know how broken this place is but it's still beautiful so that's what's meaningful to me
0: i love it as a famous songwriter has famously sung do you feel the world is broken chorus answer we do uh, and that sentiment that biblical truth and beauty comes through in the show i'm really looking forward to the rest of these episodes of course i'm going to be reading the books and then looking forward to season two lord willing uh, lord willing again coming out uh, hopefully later this year so we're going to pray for you guys at your scrappy startup animation studio uh, go to WingfeatherSaga.com. saga.com uh, we'll put all those links in the show notes you can figure out how to support this effort as well like actually put your money where your fandom is it's a great way of supporting this series on uh, this new crowdsourced uh, method of sponsoring these hard-working animators and artists uh doing this uh for your part uh for the lord's glory we're looking forward to it uh, keith thank you so much Thanks. for stopping by the studio uh we look forward to tracking the rest of this uh, further up and further in brother
2: great thank you it's been awesome
1: Stephen, one of the themes that really stood out to me from talking to Keith was this theme of sorrowful joy, that I know how broken this world is, but it's still beautiful. And I've already seen that, again, in the first two episodes of the show, and I'm sure my kids could talk all about this, that there are very dangerous and dark things and broken and twisted things in the world, but there are still beautiful and wonderful and glorious things that are still in creation and that we can find and that we know that God is going to be bringing more and more of those into the world as he redeems it. And so it's sort of in, we're in this in-between state, right? (laughs) With where we live and the story perfectly captures that. And I think too, that this story really is in that middle space of, it's not overtly Christian, but it's very Christian informed. And we talked about this all the way back in episode two of this podcast. What do we mean by saying it's a Christian story? And we talked about four categories. It's a novel for Christians. It's a novel that's about Christianity for a wider audience. It's a novel that says Christianity is like this. It's more metaphorical, and it's it's not like overtly driven by Christian language. And I think that's where this is. And then there's kind of more of an outer circle. It's just oh, this is just by a Christian, but it's basically just buried uh, general market what you'd find anywhere else. I think this is very much in that third category that. This is something that really portrays a Christian worldview, and I like how he said it's not obviously Christian, but it's profoundly Christian. And I I, I saw that right away that this is a family that believes in God. That this is uh, they carry virtues and values that are very much in line with the Christian worldview. Yes, it's a world with dragons and magic and creatures, so it's not obviously okay. This is not the first century A.D. You know, this is a very different story from the Chosen. And I love that Angel Studios is taking this on and taking on a very different kind of project. And I, I really just hope the fans of The Chosen, the fans of Narnia will check out the story because I think they're going to be very pleasantly surprised. Um, so now let's go into the comp station. We got two notes after our news story titled Christian Fan Fiction Writers bite Porn Exalt Salt and Light with New Tag on AO3. Detail 359 wrote, as a Christian and fan fiction writer, I'm so glad other Christians are doing this. Yes, it's going to incur some wrath from other groups, but Salt and Light isn't trying to force others to agree with them. They're just making a place where those who already do can congregate and share stories. I'm adding this tag to my works right now. Uh, And yes, I, I would agree with that. And I think that really is the difference in the world today is that uh, Christians are told, if, if we just congregate, if we just meet and share our values, then somehow that's oppressing other people, and that's uh, that's just nonsense. Uh, and then Kessie, a original uh, Speckfith reader, wrote, dude, I am so joining this. I'm always wishing I had an easier way to find Christian fic writers and for them to find me, end quote. Well, I'm really glad to both of you to have found this. And I think, Stephen, can you tell us a little bit more about Uh, this news article you wrote, and just some of the other responses to it.
0: Absolutely. Well, we have an in-house correspondent uh, who keeps track with more of the fan fiction side of things, Uh, my wife. and She told me about this story, and she has enjoyed some fan fiction here and there, but of course, uh, it is a perilous space. Uh, There's a lot of imaginations run amok on this site, AO3, which stands for Archive of Our Own. It's one of the biggest fan fiction sites out there, and you can write about anything. 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 And there's a lot of then, um, shall we say, fantasization (laughs) that goes on uh, that is not only devoid of our values, uh, but is blasphemous against the human nature. And that's just something you run into when you're going out to not only enjoy stories in the world, but try to make some of your own. And I think that statistically, folks who enjoy fantasy, Christian fans and otherwise, are more likely to attempt fan fiction, which includes uh, crossovers, you know, you'll get, uh, the pirates of the Caribbean, uh, meet the hobbits from Lord of the rings and all kinds of other crossovers, some pretty wacky, but apparently some really great art out there. And I'm unaware of other, uh, Christian efforts to kind of organize in this space, uh, and provide a distinctive label, uh, that means a particular set of standards, not necessarily, oh, this is a clean story. This is a wholesome story. You could have found it at the lifeway Christian Bookstore in 2007. Uh, this salt and light tag uh, really speaks to, I think, a more biblical uh, identification uh, with, with those words. Uh, Jesus himself talked about believers being salt and light in the world uh, with the caveats of the salt not losing its saltiness and the light not being smothered under a basket. Uh, this is not necessarily clean, wholesome stuff. It just means that these are going to be stories with a particular set of virtues, like redemptive value, not reveling in violence, You know, violence serving a purpose, Uh, and certainly a more biblical understanding of marriage and relationships. Uh, I don't know the folks who've put this together. I just found out about them uh, from my in-house correspondent, Uh, but uh, I thought it'd be great to just give a little attention to uh, more of what Keith was talking about, uh, Christians acting in this, uh, what do you call it, a middle space or an in-between space. Uh, It's not the church. It's not an evil environment. It's kind of the areas where those overlap. Uh, This is more about Christians doing Subtle missionary work, uh, seasoning the world, shining light into the world. And then if the Holy Spirit wants to move in next and uh, bring some people directly to Jesus as a result, that's his business. Uh, sometimes evangelism is overt, uh, and sometimes it's more of, a, more of a pre-evangelism or even a means of common grace in the world. God lets the ungodly enjoy rain and sunshine, uh, and so should we as much as we're gifted to do so. All right. We've had a lot of content at Lorehaven, including that news story about the assault and light tag at AO3. Uh, we've also uh, got a review of Lander's Legacy, an antediluvian fantasy we posted last Friday. Uh, coming up as well, uh, we have an article from Elijah David. He's resuming his uh, series about I'll Never Grow Too Old for Narnia. And his next article is called The Magician's Nephew Taught Me Christ's Compassion in the Midst of Grief. I will say that in reading and editing this piece, uh, I developed a severe case of manly eyeball sweat. Uh, There's some really personal themes in here, and for those who've also undergone this suffering, uh, that's something that you may really resonate with. Uh, Last week, we had Josiah DeGraff's article, How Christians Can Discern Jesus' Adaptations in the Chosen and Other Stories. That started a lot of discussion, but we're going to have to save that for a future episode, if at all. Uh, this next friday we have a review coming out of another fantasy novel called a crown of chains meanwhile in the uh, lore guild our exclusive discord community uh, this week we are finishing prince caspian our first monthly book quest of the new year coming up in february we're going to start a more romantic-ish fantasy just in time for valentine's day uh tisha is going to lead that in the guild and it's called the rose petals and snowflakes so you're into that sort of thing, if you need some love and romance along with the fantasy, uh, we've got you covered. How to get into the Lorehaven Guild? Just subscribe free to Lorehaven. You go to lorehaven.com, enter your email address, not given out or sold. We just send you the exclusive invite to the Guild along with any updates about articles, podcasts, or reviews that you choose to receive free in your inbox. Next on Fantastical Truth, what if you were a blind young man living in medieval times and you are called to a special and future mythological mission to become the wizard Merlin. Robert Trescillard's fantasy Merlin Spiral series has been reforged into audiobook form. Next week, Sir Robert himself gallops into the studio to share more about his medieval fantasy, round tables, knights of yore, and the wonderful king reigning over them all. Next week on Fantastical Truth. Meanwhile, you are an animator well not necessarily but you do create motion in the world it's wonderful to hear about keith Lango and all these other animators who are able to make these amazing images adapting the andrew peterson series just note that as andrew peterson himself says in adorning the dark everyone is creative everyone is gifted by god to make stuff using god's stuff it's not just for evangelism although that is also great But most of all, it is to glorify our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, Uh, the true hero, by the way, who conquers all of the fangs of dang in your life. I love remembering that truth as we continue to seek and find his fantastical truth.